All right, Brandon Steiner, everybody, the legend. Um, super excited to have him on our show here today. Um, CEO of uh, uh, Steiner Sports Marketing and uh, now Steiner Agency. Um, and we're really excited to have him on our show today. So Brandon, uh, thanks so much for, for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. Um, it's been a great, great transition. It's hard, you know, when you have your name on a company, you put 30 years in it, but I'm not with Steiner anymore, Steiner Sports. Uh, that was a great company. Now I'm with Collectible Exchange, a new new platform I think is going to be great for collectors. And then the Steiner Agency is uh, the marketing company that markets many athletes and helps companies grow using athletes and talent, which I've been doing also for over 30 years. So I think when we get into this conversation, you'll understand why I want to start Collectible Exchange and kind of as hard as it was to leave Steiner behind, that this was just a better, simpler idea uh, for collectors, fans, and sports enthusiasts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess to, to start off, um, you know, how, how did you get started with your entrepreneurial journey or how did you grow a passion uh, within the sports industry? Yeah, I think a lot of it is luck. I mean, you know, I, I a lot of, you know, some of it's luck, but I think a lot of it just comes from, you know, whatever it is you're doing, you know, do be good at it, you know, do what you're doing well. Like, I think a lot of times you, you end up doing some stuff that you know is not going to necessarily be your future. And anytime you put kind of a half-hearted effort into it, you're really sacrificing, um, besides one of the more valuable assets, your time, but you're really sacrificing your brand. So, you know, you got to realize, like, you know, you're in school. I hate school. I know, but it isn't about that. You know, if school is the process you're in, then be good at it. You know, you don't have to be the best student. Like when I was a dishwasher, I was the best dishwasher. So I always think when you do good quality work, people notice. Mm. And that's really how the journey for me began. I, I didn't, obviously, there wasn't a sports marketing business much, you know, in the 70s. So, you know, when I got started, I mean, this is a very new industry. And uh, it really kind of came upon me by mistake. Uh, I was in the sports bar business, the restaurant business. I had a great career going. And yeah. really could have easily been uh, a, a life career with restaurants, hotels. I, I think I was that good at it. More importantly, I was that into it. But, I, you know, I came to a fork in the road where I just felt like that wasn't going to be great for my lifestyle. You know, I worked me seven days a week, and I knew I was a bit of a workaholic. So, you know, I was looking to do maybe something else. It wasn't coming together the way I thought it would. Uh, as a kid, I always thought I was going to be a, a restaurateur, a hotel person, opening up all kinds of hotels and restaurants. And, and I did do that. But I just felt like I needed something a little more, um, you know, where I wasn't working every holiday, every weekend, every night. I mean, the restaurant business is tough. Still love that business and, and, and really, uh, you know, opening up a Hard Rock Cafe in New York, which is one of the first, and a Hyatt Hotel. And that was really a blessing. And I really enjoyed that run. So the sports thing came because we're opening up all these sports bars in the 80s. And what was crazy is, is that there were, you know, people never went to a restaurant to watch a game until the 80s. There weren't that many games on and most restaurants didn't have TVs. So we decided we we're going to open up an electric big screen TV scoreboards, and, <laughs> which sounds kind of like everybody's got that now. But back yeah. then, this wasn't the case. <laughs> there were only two sports bars in the whole country. Bobby V had one, and then there was a place in Chicago called The Ultimate, which was a real dive. Both of them were kind of divey bars with a bunch of 19 and 25-inch TVs. Yep. Not even a, a 36 yep. and 48. 
And, you know, it wasn't that long ago. You know, we all like, now if you watch TV on a 19-inch, it's, you know, you think, you know, that's something you watch in your car. You have that in your auto, have a 19-inch in your automobile. So, you know, all these players were coming in. Now, in New York City, we had the only satellite dish. There's only one satellite dish in all of Manhattan, you know, besides the news stations. It's insane. So all the players would come in and watch their games, you know, the competitors' games, the late games. And that's how I got to meet a lot of the players. And that's how I got in. Uh, I started – you know, making a lot of friends with a whole bunch of New York Giants, uh, New York Mets, met, just met a whole bunch of management people, athletes, some agents. And then, you know, when, when I when I couldn't open up my own sports bar, so I was only 25, I just started to open up Steiner Sports, which at that time was really just a marketing company that marketed athletes. I did player fan mail. I was doing some golf charity events for the guys. And at that time, there weren't even auctions, charity auctions. That's a concept that I started back in the early 90s where I hired a couple people and I said, we're going to go get a bunch of memorabilia and actually auction it off for charity. And it was a really a very early concept. Now everybody does charity auctions. But back awesome. then, that didn't even exist. That, that's incredible. So, I mean, you know, you mentioned a little bit earlier that your first job was uh, working in the hotel industry or hospitality uh, services. And uh, then you went into the restaurant business, working at a sporting club. Um, so was this post-collegiate uh, career? Was this uh, post-graduation when you start working at, at the hotel and, and at the sporting club? I mean, it sounds like you did this all pretty at, pretty young, at, at a fairly young age. I, I was working young. I, 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 I'd done a whole bunch of things starting at the age of 10. But, all, you know, my dream job was to go work for Hyatt. And uh, when I got out of school, I had an accounting degree, which is whole story in itself because I didn't do well in school. I struggled. And to get that accounting degree took every last bit of everything I could figure out to get through that. And, you know, I was not a, a somebody who really read and wrote well, and school was not a great path for me, but I knew it was important for many aspects. And I am so grateful to Syracuse, as you see my hat, but I'm grateful to be they gave, they gave a kid a shot because I probably didn't have the grades nor the money. And uh, figured out how to get into Syracuse. I think the goal is not to get into college, but it's just to figure out how to make sure you finish it. And not everything has to be scalable. Like, not everything you do has to be calculated that, that adds up to something. I think, some, I think sometimes you have to take the calculated risk. Like, going to college wasn't a really great proposition. There's a lot of kids are struggling now whether they should go to college or not. But sometimes you have to take the calculated risk and say, look, College is going to make me more grown up. It's going to give me some experience that I can't buy in the corner store, that I can't watch on YouTube. You know, I can't get an app for some of the stuff that I'm going to learn in school about relationships and, and learning about things that I normally wouldn't learn about. In my particular case, the accounting stuff, you can't teach yourself. But even some of the stuff I learned in psychology and, and philosophy and, and, and some of the other pro, you know, classes I took, you know, they're calculated risk and say, who's who's say that I'm ever going to need any of that information. But I think if you want to be a well-rounded business person, you know, every now and then you got to be doing some things that aren't scalable, that don't make sense, that don't fit into your resume well. But you know, they make you a better person. They know you make you, uh, you know, in the long run, smarter, bigger. And then that's the stuff that enables you to play big. So, you know, look, I, I had a very active childhood working, you know, most kids don't work at the age of 10. But I don't regret that. I mean, I, I did that because I needed to, because I was hungry, <laughs> needed some clothes, needed some food. But, you know, I think what's important is I, I don't necessarily recommend that kids should start working at 10. I mean, I have young kids, I have kids that, you know, I, I can't imagine just working, let alone trying to get them up and dressed in the morning at 10. 
and hope they're going to get to school on time. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. the fact that I got up on my own with no alarm clock, no parental supervision to do it and went to work every day is insane. That's but awesome. I think the important thing is, is you know, to dream big and, and not be afraid to do things a little bit on your own terms, because as long as you're growing, you're going. So, and that's the most important thing. Like going to college was a very rogue move for me, but it was a growth move. Yeah. It, was a, it was a disruption move. I got out of Brooklyn. I got out of the old neighborhood. Did what a lot of my friends weren't doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and same thing when I got out of college, you know, I went to go work up in Baltimore, which is a very, you know, to leave New York City and go to Baltimore for a New York City kid was a big move. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. very, you know, it's tough. And I ask kids all the time, like, how much do you want it? Like, oh, I really want to do this. I want to do that. I want to get in the sports market. So, well, what do you want to give up to get it? Because maybe trying to get a job in New York City or Chicago or Boston may not be easy getting a sports market job. But do you want to go to Albuquerque? Do you want to go to New Mexico? Do you want to go to Des Moines? And, you know, you want to go to Europe? Do you want to go to China to maybe work in sports marketing? Like, how bad do you want it? So, you know, I really wanted Hyatt. So I went to go work in Baltimore, which was – it's tough, man. I cried every night. You know, I was living in a trailer for uh, almost a year. But, you know, I wanted that job and, and, and I got it. So sometimes you got to go through, you know, co- you know, commitment is not always convenient. And uh, that's the thing you got to remember is that if you're committed and passionate about something, then conveniences don't always fit in. Yeah. And you got to, you know, you got to remember that everything starts with a big dream. Uh, and everything starts with your ability to not accept. You know, I have a high level of not acceptance. It doesn't really matter where you are. It doesn't. What matters is what you want to accept. What matters is whether you're willing to do something about it once you're willing to get into non-acceptance mode. So I knew that I wasn't willing to just take any job coming out of college. I knew what I wanted to do, and I was willing to do whatever it took to do it because I wasn't willing to accept working for some stupid restaurant or some small bootleg hotel. I wanted to work for one of the best hotel chains and I wasn't gonna stop till I did. And I found it. And, but unfortunately I had to go get up off my butt, pack my bags and you know, live in a trailer for eight months and, and, and live in Baltimore, which was a very small town you know, for mm-hmm. me. Yeah. But I did it. That's, that's awesome. I mean, so <clears throat> I'm currently a senior um, in college right now and I struggled in accounting personally. So like hearing that you majored in it, I'm like, Man, like I barely passed that class. Like I had to take financial and managerial, and both times it was a real grind. It was really tough. For me. Yeah, take take intermediate after the, after yeah. accounting one and two. I wouldn't try that. I, I I called my mother and said I want to quit school. I want to go to the culinary. I was a chef growing up and I was a cook. And my mother said, "You're not coming home. Get your degree, then you can do what you want." And I said, right. "Mom, I just studied for a month with the tutor, mm. and I think I got a zero on the test." A zero. I feel I that every time. Month. And by the way, I got a nine. A nine on that test was a C, which is one of the things I hate about school. It's like, it's, it, it's just, it just needs to be less about trying to trick you right. and more about trying to educate you, you know? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so. Yeah, and, and I just feel like sometimes I think they, that gets missed. Like if I was teaching a class, I would just give you all the answers. Then we can figure out how we get the answers and we just be more fun for the kids. Mm. And I think some of these classes, I think people understand how hard they are for certain, you know, parts of your brain. You know, accounting came a little more easier for me. But when you get into accounting, it isn't about numbers. It's about the understanding of numbers and the communication of numbers, which, you know, if I was going to run a company one day, which my mother said, look, if you're going to run a company one day, you better go to college and get either a legal law degree or accounting degree. 
And I'm so glad I did because I don't think I'd be able to run a company and the companies that I run, you know, collectible exchange is based on a lot of numbers. And even though it's a tech company and a web company, but you know, you need to have the understanding of accounting and numbers. Absolutely. I mean, that's just an incredible story, man. I mean, for you to really grind and, and get started off of that. And then um, you mentioned earlier, you know, working in the sporting club, right? Like it sounded like you're just trying to soak up all those connections, right? As a young kid, just trying to, no, me. I looked at everything post school as a as as my graduate. I, I didn't come out of school like a lot of kids think they get this degree and they've actually done something. What you've done is you've started something. You started your educational path. Not a lot of people think when they get out of college they've ended their educational path and they're done with school. You just started. I looked at everything after school as as a master's degree. I was trying to put some of the stuff I learned in play, but everything everyone I met I was looking at in learning mode. And uh, it really, really all college does is gives you the ability to learn how to learn and what it, what, how important it is to learn and what it takes to learn, you know, where you have to go and how you have to figure certain things out because it's right in front of you, which the class, you know, teachers say, here's the chapter, read this chapter, and then it gives you a test on it. And then sometimes she's like, you know, something, now you got this chapter, but now you got to think about how this chapter relates to some of these other practices and stories. So it t- teaches you to understand the practicality of things, but also how to think. So when I got out of school, I was just all about trying to find opportunities that I was going to grow, learn from, and they were challenging, which is what you should have. If you want to be happy at work, you know, you've got to find situations that are challenging, people that are going to push you. What's unfortunate now is I see a lot of people that are looking for companies that are going to, you know, let you bring your dog to work. They're going to let you work from home, you know, all these things. And I think they are important but they're not really that important. What's important is somebody who's gonna kick your ass, a job that's gonna make you not be comfortable, a job that's gonna force you to have to get into some areas that you don't really necessarily know. And what happens is sometimes when bosses do that, when your managers do that, I think sometimes uh, employees kind of think of that, uh, sometimes they take that the wrong way. And I think that, you know, and and as from managers need to learn the importance of communicating to their employees how important it is to learn and that they're kicking your ass for a good reason and why. And that should be more negotiable as, as opposed to the perks, how many personal days you're going to have off and all this other stuff. I think all that stuff's kind of part of the soup, but I think that more should be talked about is how much do you want your ass to be kicked? And are you fat? Are you faithful, available, and most importantly, teachable? F-A-T. Faithful? Do you believe in this company? Do you believe in... in the person you're working for are you available are you really flexible or do you want to go home at six o'clock and not be bothered mm-hmm. because most a lot of people are going home and they've got a shot clock you know and the yeah. shot clock go over that's it and then are you teachable do you really want to learn more because everybody says they're flexible and they want to learn more but then all of a sudden when the manager's in your grill and you get all teary-eyed and you go find another place to work where they're not going to bother you that's not what you want you want a manager that's going to bother you you want somebody to work for that is going to be an annoyance. Because when you look back, even in your career as a senior in college, and you think about the people that have you've gotten the most out of learn, they were paying the ass, including your parents. Like anybody who's been a pain in the neck, bothered you, annoyed you, those are the people you've learned from. Those are the people that cared about you. Yeah, so, yeah. and that's what I suggest, you know, when you go out in the workplace, is, you know, go in a workplace where, Management cares and they want you to do better and they're not going to settle for status quo. They're not going to be in an acceptance. Well, he's just a good employee. He's okay. 
They're not going to let you stand still. Because ultimately, they'll lead to misery. Yeah, no, I absolutely totally agree with everything you just said. And, and uh, you know, just, just going off of that, I mean, uh, going off of what you just said, how, how did those lessons, you know, looking back at your experience in the sporting club and as a young professional going into the sports industry, um, you know, like you know, I, I read here that uh, in the sporting club, I mean, you met, uh, you recruited, uh, you were recruited by athletes such as Mickey Mantle, uh, Ron Darling and, and Lawrence Taylor, um, you know, as a young, young kid, was that intimidating, you know, going, going through all what you just went through, I can only imagine that only made you stronger and only gave you confidence to, to, um, you know, be in the presence of these other guys and, and, and to make a successful company, but just describe your relationship um, with other athletes. Well, hold on a second. I think let's get, let's get to the really more important point, which is, yeah. You know, if you – the goal really is for you to be extraordinary at something. If you're going to do something, the only reason you would do it is to be the best at it and to be great at it. And if you become extraordinary, that means you're willing to do whatever it takes to learn as much as it takes, everything that's out there. If you're thinking about going into a particular area, you don't know who the best at it is, then you're not serious about going in that area. If you're going to be an accountant, I want to know the best accounting firm, the best accountants, and I want to know who, why, how they got there, what it takes to get there. Because I want to know what I'm trying to beat. I'm not interested in opening up an accounting firm unless I'm going to have the best accounting firm at some point. In order to have the best, I need to know who the best is and know what I'm competing against. Now, granted, I'm a young kid. I mean, I get there for a few years. So when I got into the relationship with, with some of those players, I wasn't playing baseball against those guys because then I would be intimidated. We're in an area that I'm the guru. I'm the expert at, at, at that sports bar theme, which is how I met those guys. And I knew what I was doing. And I knew more than almost anybody that I knew about this particular theme. You know, I'd been trained by Hyatt. Uh, I'd gotten some great training throughout the years. So I felt very comfortable about what I was doing and, and the theme and the vision I had. So there was nothing to be intimidated about. Was it amazing to have a relationship with a Mickey Mantle or a Ron Darling or a Lawrence? Of course. It was amazing on the personal side of it. From a business standpoint, I was sitting here just like I'm talking to you with Lawrence Taylor, arguing about how we we're going to open up his restaurant. And we're arguing. I'm like, Lawrence, we're not sacking quarterbacks right now. I, you know, and, you know, we're arguing. But I'm like, listen, at the end of the day, you know, he respected my opinion. And, and it was an amazing restaurant we had opened with him. And he was, he's an amazing talent. So I think the goal is, is that, if you want to get comfortable, become extraordinary at something. Be, have the consummate knowledge about whatever it is you're doing and don't stop. And then you're never going to be frazzled. You're never going to be intimidated about anything because you have consummate knowledge and you're, you know, you're extraordinary at something. I mean, we, that's ultimately when you're the best at it. So the only time you get frazzled and nervous is when you're fearful that you are dealing with something that you don't have the appropriate preparation or knowledge on. There's no such thing as really pressure or anxiety because if you're confident in your strategy and you're confident in your preparation and knowledge about what you're doing, what, what's to be nervous about? You get nervous about a test because you haven't been doing shit all semester. And then all of a sudden, in two days before the test, you're cramming everything in. So yeah, you're nervous because you're thinking, what well, did I forget? I don't know everything. But if you're paying attention every week, what the teacher's bringing, you're doing your homework assignments, you're doing some studying, you get to the test, you're not frazzled. Why? Because you're prepared. You had a strategy. The strategy was every week, you're going to do the work, the assignment, you're going to do everything, and then you get to the test time. What's to be nervous about? 
You think Derek Jeter was nervous when he got a ground ball at shortstop? No. He had a strategy about what he was going to do when he got a ground ball. He had practiced that a million times before. What's to get frazzled about? No matter what the game is, whether it's the ninth inning, World Series, whatever. So the goal is, is that you play every day like a big game. and Every day you're prepared and thinking about your strategy and you want to be well prepared. And it takes a huge effort. It's a lot of energy to get there. But that's how my mindset works. Like, I don't look at any day as a big day. I've been preparing for this day. As a 61, I'm starting these new companies. I'm like, it's nerve-wracking because there's a lot, a lot of work, and I know that. I know the amount of work and energy it takes. And that's the unfortunate part sometimes of being young because you haven't experienced, you know, having to climb up that hill. But once you climb it and you understand it, which is why I always tell young people that are entrepreneurs, like, look, you have a great idea, but go get the experience and work with people you respect that you can learn a lot from. You'll have plenty of time to initiate and execute your own ideas. But those execution, that execution of ideas is not something you take for granted. And I always say execution beats strategy for breakfast. You know, execution is critical. You can have some of the greatest ideas on the planet, but if you can't execute, you don't have the experience when certain things get off track, certain people you need your help from. Those are things you obtain from just working, meeting people, working with people, learning how to hire, learning how to fire, you know, learning how to go set up a payroll structure, bonuses, learning how to rent space, logo, branding. I mean, there's so many different factors that, you know, could be a lot for a young entrepreneur, even though that young entrepreneur has a great idea. More than likely as a young entrepreneur, you there are plenty more ideas to come. And uh, what I would say is, Focus on growing and focus on companies that you can work for that are going to push you, that you can learn different aspects of the business. And then you'll be able to execute a lot easier. Absolutely. I'm sorry, so, I went on a little rant there. No, but. no, I, that was awesome. Um, I, I think the toughest balance sometimes is if you believe in something so much, you want to go at it full time. Would you say, um, looking back, would you take a job that you weren't as passionate about and working on your entrepreneurial endeavors on the side like what is that worth the risk to you to work a job that you know maybe you're not as passionate about but you know you you know you're gonna you know benefit from benefit from the lessons learned like is that or, or would you just say go all in on your uh business idea no, i like that i mean first of all the beautiful thing about now what's going on in the workplace is that you can do two things you can work a real job and then go home and follow an entrepreneur itch that you have. And, and, and without taking away from that, like, you know, it's one thing to work two jobs, work 16 hours a day, have to show up at two jobs. Like that's a lot. But if you can go home and work on some stuff out of your basement while you're taking care of your full-time duties. Yeah. I look at finding a job like uh, the NFL draft, you hire the best possible, you get the most talented player in the NFL draft and you always grab, grab the best physical possible player and then you figure out how to work that out um i like that as far as a job I, I think when you're finding a job coming out of school it's more than likely not going to be your career unless you're a lawyer or an accountant if you have a career thing then yes maybe so but you want to find the best company you want to find the best person that you could work for regardless of what industry it is because more than likely it's not going to be an industry you're going to stay in or maybe even the company you're going to stay in so how you you know, who you work for and, and, and the lessons you learn from that person and from that business will be far more important than the money and the ego part of it all. And then you go home and work on your entrepreneurial spirit mm -hmm. at night when you have the time. Yes. 
if, as long as it doesn't take away from whatever you're doing during the day, even though that's not your main focus, never get into something where you can't put 100% effort in. But if you want to go follow your entrepreneur spirit tonight, absolutely. Um, I, I think it's just important that your first few jobs out of school, that you really work for a company you believe in and a company that's going to teach you a lot. I think the first few years out of school is all about training and who you learn from about how business gets done, how money gets made will have a major impact on you. So I'm a, not an easy boss to work for. As I'm sure people in my office are listening to that. I'm not. And I really don't care. I'm not, I'm not, I'm certainly don't want to be a mean spirited boss and, and I certainly don't want to do anything that's going to at all take away from uh, a, a potential star employee, but I'm not here to sugarcoat it. If you're interested in really being good one day and great at what you do, then you're going to have to deal with my wrath and I'm going to call you on it. And I'm going to, I'm going to push you because there's nothing better than being in your early twenties, the energy you have, the time you have and, 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 you got to get pushed. You know, somebody's got to push you and it's hard to push yourself. So um, it's important to go work for somebody like that. I tell kids in school all the time, like, don't wait, you know, don't wait till your senior year to turn on the jets. Like get, you know, going to college, you know, back to what you were saying, like, Hey, I think you should be able to go to college and do some part-time work that's meaningful. And that could be a wide variety, whether it's waiting tables or finding a local company or going to the athletic department and washing towels if you want to get into the sports business, whatever it is, to go to school and not do something that's kind of real on some level, you know, making a few bucks or trying some of your entrepreneurial shenanigans, which is what I did. I did all kinds of entrepreneurial stuff when I was at college to make money and to you know, find different you know, promotional ideas. But just to go to school and party, like, I think, I think you should. I think that's a big part of it. But if that's everything, then you're going to come out and you're going to be in for a huge awakening for a couple of years when you got out of school, but you're going to be behind. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and that's a, going back to what you said about conveniences. Like, I think that's something like I personally struggle with. Like sometimes it's like, I'm, I'm super ambitious about like what I want to do post collegiate career. Um, and then sometimes, you know, that may have to sacrifice, you know, hanging out with my friends. Maybe I feel a little bit behind about not going to the bars, you know, like, I mean, this time it's kind of easy because now you have an excuse in quarantine to sort of just go all in. Like I'm, thinking, you can do them both, you right? You can do them both. You can hang with your friends, get yeah, yeah, yeah. party time in. But why wait? Oh, right. well, when I get out of school, I'm going to do that. I'm like, you can party. You think when you get out of school, you're never going to party again? I've had yeah. some of the most fun <laughs> times ever. And listen, I love school, and I, I think you should have fun with your friends and get the get to the bar, or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. why would you? Why would you just outright wait and do nothing? Like, go well, yeah, find the local business and intern there. So when you get out of school, you got a leg up. Mm -hmm. I always, to me, want to be two steps ahead of my competition. I'm not interested in, you know, I'm not interested in rush hour. You know, I always tell people, if you go to work during rush hour, you're an idiot. I have no interest in that. I'm not getting on the George Washington Bridge when everybody else is. I'm not taking the train when everyone else is. No interest. I'm going to be five steps ahead of them whether I got to wake up earlier, go to work later figure out how to go get a raft and swim across the goddamn Hudson River. I don't care. I'm not doing what everyone else is doing because it makes no sense. I mean, mass, you know, one of my favorite lines my aunt told me that masses are the asses. You know, if you're following the masses, you're going down the wrong path, you know, yeah. masses are the asses. And it's like, you never want to follow the path that everybody else is going. Like you got to create your own path in order to do that. You got to stay two steps ahead and you got to actually use your head.
you got to think, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, yeah. the sports, the sports industry is tough. Like um, every industry is tough. Mm. Question is, what do you want to accept? Yeah. Are you willing to do whatever it takes? Are you willing to get on a plane and go to another country? There's a lot of places in this country that have sports marketing opportunities. They may not be where you are. Do you want to go to Europe? Do you want to go to Asia? They, they're looking for sports marketers. There's opportunities. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, that, that was awesome. I mean, just going off of that, I mean, you've had so many incredible interactions throughout the course of your career. Um, and, and it's, it's obvious. I mean, you're, the brand has grown and, and you're obviously a huge, uh, successful figure within sports. Um, well, I'm learning. I'm still, yeah. <laughs> uh, is there, is there, um, you know, one particular interaction that with an athlete or an agent that really shaped your career or a lesson that you learned, you feel like you benefited from? Like I saw the photo of you and MJ and uh, I, I saw the YouTube video and, and it was like how I beat MJ. I was like, man, this is awesome. Um, you know, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe talk a little bit about that. Maybe some interactions and with the athletes or other leaders, how that shaped you as well. Well, I think the most important thing, even on the Michael Jordan thing, because obviously I was, that's not reality. I was just incredibly <laughs> lucky that day, but picturalization is so important. And, and yeah. um, I try to picture, you know, what's the best possible thing that can happen. And with the Jordan thing, I pictured that many, many days, me beating him and telling him to get the hell off the court. And it happened. But, you know, there's a little luck that, that's evolved too. But I think even the company I'm starting now at Collectible Exchange, I mean, we started with, couple employees now we're growing uh we got sixty thousand items on there i've already pictured and dreamt you know having a million items on our site so already i'm not going to be satisfied so we get a million and i think we have like sixty thousand now so it's like at the end of the day i'm just thinking like you know what's the best thing that can happen i'm always trying to picture stuff so picturalization uh is so important and even if even if you pick at even if you picture things out of your punt coverage, you know, you want to go punt 120 yard punt and that's outrageous. Maybe it's never been done, but that's the kind of punting you want to do. You don't need to punt just an average punt when you talk about your dreaming because you control your thoughts, you control your dreams. So I'm always thinking about what's the most outrageous possible thing can happen. And then I work backwards. So, okay, in order to get the million things on the site and you know, what players do I need to work with? You know, what kind of PR, what kind of promotion would I do if I could just do anything? And then I just stop putting those things in play. So you're coming out of school even, it's like, what's the best possible thing that can happen? You know, is it really just going and starting your own thing? Is it going to work for which company or a person that you really think you can learn a lot from? You know, those kinds of picturalization things is something that I learned at an early age. And it really just came from, there was not really anything pretty to look at in front of me. So I had to go use my imagination and creativity to think about what I really wanted to have happen versus what was in front of me. So that, right. that's kind of how it worked for me. Absolutely. I mean, it's incredible, man. Um, you know, talk about in terms of, you know, the market for like fan interaction and, and with their athletes, I mean, in sports collectibles, of course, um, do you think the market for that has changed a little bit um, due to emerging platforms such as, you know, Cameo or Starsona, where, you know, it's more digitally based. Um, you know, do you, what do you think about that transition? I mean, and, and... I like it. I mean, I think all that stuff, anything that gets fans closer to their players, to the game, I think everybody's trying to do that um, from, you know, from premium seating to, I mean, you could name a bunch of things. 
that really gets fans even more engaged, more into it. So I'm a fan. I think right now what I love is that, you know, the kids are so entrepreneurial that they can get, particularly in the business I'm in, you know, kids can be flipping cars, they're flipping autographs, they're flipping collectibles. You know, listen, the photo with the athlete and, and, and these cameos are also interesting in today's world because you get a shout out from your favorite player. I still like the personal interaction. I still think there's nothing that beats when you meet your favorite player or it's nothing that beats when you actually have a physical, you know, Hank Aaron card, you know, that's, that's yeah. really signed by him that when I was that's with awesome. him, he signed. And, and then the story about that, like, as much as I like those extra fandom ideas and I think they're relevant, I think they could work. I still don't think as opposed to like, we're not going to use a rotary phone anymore. You know, we're not using a parking meter. We're not using a typewriter. Those are extinct things. You know, nobody's using a Sony Walkman. I think that the collectible, the actual physical thing that you got when you were at a game, the ticket stub, the ball that some player threw at you, I still think those are still the king and the crown jewels. Yeah, you know, the absolutely. fact you met Babe Ruth and he gave you an autograph is still a crown jewel over a cameo and anything else. Absolutely. And in my opinion, we've now seen enough time to go where that part of the industry is not wiped away. And I'm finding it now, like people are coming to me with most incredible artifacts, young, old, there's incredible collectors out there that still trumps the story about how you get that. It's real. Mm. I met this athlete in, 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 outside the locker room. I met this player at the Olympics. I met this player at dinner. It, there's so many stories and, and all that stuff resonates with positive, good, uh, you know, things that happen. So why wouldn't you fill your office in your man cave with that to right. show your fandom? So, but on the other hand, online, you know, it's nice to be able to show your pictures with and your, your shout outs from players or that, you know, that works too in today's world. So I like them both. Right. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's like tough to get that fan interaction though, you know, like I, I would love to get a signature from Hank Aaron and, and all that. And how do you like, you know, in, in your vision and in, in your entrepreneurial spirit, um, you know, what is your ultimate hope for, for fans to get that the best experience possible, I guess, you know, I mean, I totally agree with you. That's well, kind of cool. part, of, part of it is, you know, going to the old fashioned way, going to games when that happens again, um, you know, I'm doing my TV show where we're picking out random fans to meet players. I'm doing, I'm starting a show in a week and, and a pod where we'll pick out random players. They're able to come and meet the player that I'm interviewing and stuff like that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, you see a player, be prepared, you know, in a restaurant, don't be afraid to write a player a letter uh, and, you know, maybe get a response back. Um, and there's, there's all different ways um, in, in increasing your collectability and that sort of thing. The old fashioned card show is probably not going to happen probably until next fall. So we're now a year away from being removed from you being able to meet different players and so forth. So it's going to be a little trickier, but we're seeing a huge surge on my site for vintage collectibles and, and for collectibles because people can't go out and meet their fans and, and meet their uh, favorite player rather. So what's cool is, you know, you're definitely trying to redo your fan caves and there's a lot of trading. And that's what I love about collectible exchange that you can go and sell some of your stuff. I see you got a few things in your background there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's cool. Here, so, I, I you, know, got, you can go sell some of that, man. Like, what's your favorite thing over there? What do you got? Uh, all right, I got, all right. Oh, uh, this, this is crazy. I, I went to, um, this is a TB12 signed book. It's kind of like a scribble. So, like, you won't, you probably wouldn't be able to authenticate it. But, like, back See, to but I would go to Brady and say, hey, give me the A autograph, man. I'm loving you, and I need yeah. more than a scribble. 
But you got to know at that time, say, Mr. Brady, I need more than a scribble. I know it's your book, but I love you. Can you give me a real autograph? And a lot of times the guys will respect that. Yeah. It was like, but a lot of times they won't. It was just a crazy time. Like it was at training camp and it was like a public facility. So yeah. I was imagine everyone's just storming so i was like but meanwhile that book you'll get more out of that book because he's a gem and he's he's a goat and when i tell people sometimes you know the the, the proof is inside not on the cover and yeah. you'll get more out of that book than you would have gotten in maybe a better autograph because i think it was very generous for him to give his insight i love when the goats share their insight <laughs> yeah. i love when they really give you the real secret to the sauce we need more people in society to do that Absolutely. But that's the beauty of what's going on now with digital and online is that you can dig and research people that you look up to and respect. And a lot of them are giving up their intel and info. And that's what I highly recommend. And that's what I do. I'm on YouTube two, three hours a week looking people up and, and listening to them and following because why do I have to go invent everything? I can just, you know, sometimes I get the secrets right away without yeah. even have to go through that. Yeah. Is there an athlete that you talk to on a daily basis that sort of always interests you? Like, I mean, I, I know, uh, I know you're close with Mariano Rivera, right? I mean, is, yeah. is, is there an athlete or of that, that status that you talk to on a daily basis where? I mean, I talk to him a lot. Uh, he, actually, he just called actually while we were talking, but I, I, I blocked him. Um, <laughs> but um, I appreciate you know, it, man. I appreciate it. I don't know if I'm worth it, but hey, appreciate it, man. 100% you're worth it. I, listen, I, <laughs> of course. And I tell him it's a more important thing to talk. I, when I get on the phone with him in a little while, I'll tell him. I was on a much more important call than you and get over it. But, he, you know, he's, he's great. I mean, all kidding aside, he's amazing. I've learned a lot from him about a lot of things, particularly faith and, and, and making sure that I, you know, I have a tremendous empathy for people. Uh, and then also what it takes to be extraordinary and, and to create a high level of focus and to do high quality work is more than just working hard. Mm. And, and, you know, I've talked to Mark Messier a lot, who's a really interesting entrepreneur and who's a great leader. Uh, so I get to chat with him a lot. Aaron Boone, now the manager of the Yankees, you know, watching him go through a very difficult season and just kind of watching him and learning and, and, and seeing how he handles that is, is a great learning lesson. You know, I talk with different athletes all throughout. And it's always, you know, for me, I don't get so caught up because I'm, I'm not a particularly great athlete. You know, I still play a little bit of this and that, but I, I love the learning aspects, you know, the inspiration, the motivation I can grab from them and, and what it takes right. to do what they're doing. Because anybody who gets on a professional level of any kind of status, you know, you're in a, you're in a league of your own and it doesn't happen just because you got some born again talent. Right. There's a lot to be learned from any athlete that makes it to the pros. Uh, just whether you choose to want to learn from it and you get caught up in there and the fact that that's incredible what they do, but I'm, I'm really caught up in how they do it you know, how they got to that point and what's the secret right. to the sauce. And that's what's really enabled me to get to this point is lessons from a Mickey Mantle, a Joe Namath, a Muhammad Ali, you know, spending time with them. Yeah, I was into the whole story about different, you know, things that had happened in their career like any other fan. I'm not going to lie. I mean, yeah, I'm excited and hyped up. But I'm smart enough to know at some point I go, man, I got to dig down a little deeper and go, go what's, in, what's in the inside of this person that enabled them to be so great? Because right. that's the stuff I really need to walk away with. They hit two home runs in a big game. I'm never going to do that. But it's nice to talk about how they did it. But right. I want to know how, what got them to the point where you put them in position to get up there and hit a home run. Right. And what happened, you know, when they were 10 and 15, kind of how this conversation is going, I hope is a help to young entrepreneurs and kids in college because it, it's a process that you, that you really want to get really – you really want to learn about process. 
and go to the people you respect the most and learn their process. That's what you want to get, a bottle of process, not a bottle of success. And right. when you get a bottle of process, when you really understand the different things that help, you'll see the common denominators of extraordinary people are very similar, even though we're in completely different categories, different businesses, different areas. You get, you get 100 extraordinary people that are really, really good, maybe the best of what they've done. You can't believe the commonalities in, in many of us. And I believe that, um, you know, it, it, and it's going to be much more random than just you coming up with a good idea and executing. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, is there one interaction that sticks to you and to your mind where it was like, like you mentioned Muhammad Ali and, and Mickey Mantle, was there one interaction where you were like, wow, or was, were they all pretty in the same, pretty much in the no, same? No, I mean, there, there's many, but then one with Derek Jeter where, you know, he just talks about, you know, he's at shortstop in between every pitch. He never has any anxiety depending on the situation because he's prepared for everything that could possibly happen. And he's thinking of two, 300 different things that can happen just from one pitch to the next. Uh, so that anything that does happen, he's kind of prepared for it. And that kind of depth and that kind of thought process and, pre and preparation is ultimately what you want to do when you go into the field that you're in. You know, your lawyer that you're hiring, you, you've been charged with murder. You want your lawyer on every minute of that trial to be thinking of for every action as a reaction and for every possible thing that can happen in a trial, he's prepared for what to do. You want the guy that's operating on your kidney not just to operate in your kidney, but depending on anything that possibly can happen, he, he, he or she's prepared to deal with possibly something going off course or something that's changed in the middle of an operation. That's what makes the good surgeon great. Absolutely. And that's why there's never an anxiety in that operating room or in that courtroom because you hired the best, not because he knows anything more than anyone else, but he's prepared for any particular sidetrack situation that can happen. A pilot in a plane, believe it or not, you can, you can land a 747. The autopilot is doing most of the landing and taking off to the plane. The great pilot is one that can pilot when the autopilot doesn't work, adverse situations, winds, weather bad, all of a sudden this, the, 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 the airport's too crowded, you can't land, and now you have to figure out how to stay up in the air for three hours and with the amount of gas you have. You know, it's the adverse situations and all those scenarios that you're prepared for which is what creates the extraordinary talent. Like I'm not the smartest guy in this company by any stretch. I'm just the smartest one when something really shitty happens or something gets, or when, the, when, when the car gets off the, the tracks, right. then I'm the guy, right? Like, Brandon, what do we do? Right. And if you want to, you know, if you want to be extraordinary, you know what to do when extraordinary or unusual circumstances have. And that's, I think the main thing I learned from Derek is you can't have enough experience and you can't have enough preparation which leads to ultimately having you having confidence because you, you, you are ultimately prepared for every possible thing on every particular moment. So, so do you think patience was a huge part of that throughout the course of your career? I mean, you want to be somewhat patient, but, you know, it's not easy. Yeah. But I think the understanding that that doesn't happen, you know, like, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. If I said to you, like, listen, you're going to be really, really successful one day. This conversation, I can tell you're an interesting young man. But I, I think like 10, 12 years from now, you're going to be great. 10, 12 years, like, have you really thought about the fact that you're probably not going to be extraordinary of any level of success probably for another 10 to 15 years? When you talk to kids out of school, like they're thinking that's going to happen within a couple of years. That may even happen this year. For who? Who does that happen yeah. for? Who? It doesn't. So 
you know, one of the things I really try to talk a lot about when I speak is like, listen, you know, if you really want something great to happen, are you prepared to put 10, 15 years into it? Like I'm, I'm working this new company here. I'm right. banging away at this thing for now a year. Right. Grinding every day. Like I'm a dog over here. Like I just, like I just got out of college. Yeah. And, but I understand that's what's required. Like I know I'm not going to probably work like this forever. I'm 61, right. but I know that I've got to go put three, four years into this kind of thing. If I really want this thing to be extraordinary. So, so and that's what coming with the experience and, and everything I've already done, which that's why I'm able to do that maybe in three or four years, as opposed to maybe 10. Yeah. <laughs> but most people yeah. my age, they, they were successful. They immediately think they jump into something else. Should happen like that. Right. So rarely does anything happen like that. Well, so what, what keeps you motivated to build another company? Like I, I that, you obviously you know how hard it is and like to build a company and to build a brand like what what keeps you motivated to say you know what like i'm ready to start another one i'm ready to keep going like you know what, what keeps you motivated on a daily basis like that well first of all i don't think your work as hard as i work to try to be as good as i've been so that one day i don't have to do it anymore i don't think tom brady wakes up in the morning and goes man i hope one day i don't have to do this anymore i am the goat but hopefully one day i don't have to when you get to the point where you're trying to be the best and you are the best at what you're doing, you're not thinking about stopping. You love what you're doing. You, you are what you're doing. Like, you know, Tom Brady's going to quarterback to the, as long as he possibly can because he's worked really hard to be that person and to do that. So I think everybody has that message, you know, completely reversed. It's like, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. I'm ready. Like, this is what I do. This is who I am. So I'm not thinking about, but, you know, what keeps me motivated it's if something right. else comes into play that would unmotivate me mm. you know if there's something that came into play like you know i went through four or five years of not being those highly motivated because i really want to spend more time with my kids and be at home more and i was wasn't willing to travel and you know i took i took those four or five years in a little bit of a different mindset so what keeps me motivated like no it's if something comes up that would demotivate me I think right now uh, I enjoy the building of something. I, I tell people all the time, the building of something and the piecing things together is much more fun than the actual success itself. Uh, but, you know, it's all good. Both are all good. Right. And, you know, for me, I, I just, I'm enjoying what I'm doing. And, and yeah. as long as I'm enjoying what I'm doing, why not? And uh, I think the real goal for a purpose standpoint is the money that I make will I'll be able to do a lot of charity work and I'll be able to do a lot of the cause marketing and cause stuff that I wanted to do. And this gives me the best platform to do it. So that's kind of the combination of that. You know, I'm not missing any birthday parties here. I'm not going to miss anything on a personal level. I've done some of that already. So there is some conveniences that I'm not willing to, you know, there are some conveniences that I'm willing to bear through uh, some lack of convenience, but you know, I have, I have some limits. Yeah. Yeah. This time around, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, it, it, for like a young entrepreneur or like to your younger self, like what would you say? I mean, you said like it's the things that unmotivate you, right? Like subconsciously you love it so much that you're always going to be motivated. But like, is what is like, what's the limit of to like, what's going to unmotivate you onto something you love, right? Like how, how do you, how do you handle that from like a mental like you just I'll worry about it when I get there, you know, I'm not, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't worry about that, frankly. But you know, what I worry path. about is I don't want to be mediocre at something and, and I understand what's required. And if I feel like I can't do what's required, 
I don't need to come and take up space and get a paycheck and do something mediocre. Mm. Like I have no interest in that. And when I wake up and I'm not feeling like I can keep striving for the excellence and keep making progress towards that, then that's probably what would take me to say, brand time to chill, which right. I more than feel like I don't feel guilty about it. You know, I certainly have the family, the comfort, the finances to do that. So I know that in the back of my mind that if I can't get up and want to literally want to win, want to be extraordinary, then and then that's time to go home. Right. Um, and, right. you know, I, I, right now I feel like I could go do something that's going to be incredibly beneficial to a lot of the customers and fans I've dealt with over the last 30 years. That's going to be better than whatever I did. Yeah. So that's exciting to me. You know, I'm always a solution-based kind of business person. So I'm excited right. about giving everyone this new portal where they can actually take all this stuff that they bought from me and kind of resell it or trade it and whatever. And I could do some really good for some of the athletes that I've worked with over the 30 years, giving them an opportunity to sell to fans directly. So I feel yeah. like there's some cause behind what I'm doing. Um, however, um, I, I tell people all the time, if young people are listening, that is, don't worry about the situation I'm in. It's a little bit of an unusual predicament that I'm in. And it, it, every, every, nobody gets a pass. There's always a predicament whether you don't have enough, whether you have too much, you know, how much, how much do you need and all that. But the most important thing I think when you're younger is to focus on being extraordinary and not short yourself with just some success. Don't short yourself because you have some success. You got your degree, you got a good job. Like, so what? Right. Who remembers somebody who got a degree and got a job? Right. That's nothing. I mean, that's just a right. starting point. So, you know, if you're not on your road to really being, regardless of whatever you're doing, your main focus that needs to be habitual is, is to want to be great at it. And no matter what you're doing, you, your company that you went to work for that may not be your career opportunity, they should cry when you leave. That's so you know you're on the right track. You took a job, it wasn't for you, but they're crying that you left. They don't want you to leave. Yeah. Then you know you're, you have the right mindset. Because you ultimately pick and decide your path. And sometimes a job, even though you're doing well, it's not for you. Your, your, your coworkers and your bosses should cry when you leave. Yeah, so, I mean, even if you don't like it, right? Like you just would trump through it. Like, yeah. Even if it's something that you're passionate about, because like something that's at your core is something you're passionate about and you love it. If it's a job you hate, I mean, you, you just still. It's a simple concept. If you're going to be, a, you know, if you're going to be a custodian, be the best one. You know, I was a dishwasher. I was the best. I got that job done, found silverware in the garbage. You know, I, the managers, they knew that I was the best dishwasher I ever had, you know, or mm -hmm. line cook or whatever. I, I knew I wasn't going to be a dishwasher. I mean, I knew I wasn't going to, but even when I took temporary jobs, um, I could tell you story after story, man, that, you know, like I took this job and I'll tell you a quick story. Um, I took this job in this catering hall. I needed some extra money. So I think the, the, the guys didn't realize I was Jewish and it was an Italian catering hall on uh, Avenue U and I think East 2nd Street. So I go in there and I think at that time I was doing some cooking. I thought I was going to learn a little bit, work in the kitchen, show me how to cook some stuff. The guy looks, he goes, you Italian? I said, no, Jewish. He sends me up in the elevator to the third floor. That would be about 100 cases of melons. You know when you go to a, a wedding, you get a, a piece of melon on the, on yeah. the table yeah. to start the wedding off? He's like, go upstairs and cut the melons up and plate them. And you put them on a, on a, sheet, a sheet tray. You mm -hmm. cut the melons up on sheet trays because, you know, the weddings were probably five or 600 people that night. There were several weddings going on. So I go up there. I'm like, the guy shows me where the melons are, the knives, the plates and everything. I go, 
who's helping me. Like, because no, let me know when you're done. Oh my God. It's like Saturday morning at nine o'clock. I'm like, this is bullshit. Yeah. I, instead of getting all pissed off about the whole thing, I get into like a complete focus. I cut those melons up in record pace, went, whipped through them. Like three hours later, probably thought that would take me the whole day. Three hours later, I go back down. I go, what else you got? You play, blah, 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 blah. done. What else you got? What else you got for me? The guys are like, there's no way. They go up in the elevator, look up, everything's plated, everything's done. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, what do you got? I'm like, oh, okay, all right. Yeah, and I could have spent all day moping about the fact they left me up in a hot kitchen up there with, you know, a thousand melons that I had to go play by myself. I'm like, no, no, I'm going to show them that they made a mistake that I got, you know. I'm gonna... So it's all the game you play within the game. It's all like, however you want to play it. Right. I knew that wasn't my career, and I probably wasn't going to go back to that kid. I only went back one more day after that. But I was right. like, you know, so when I leave, I wanted them to know, hey, there's no slouch here. Right. They should have maybe, they could have been a little more, they could have taken a little more interest in a young kid who came in and was working part-time and helped. Right. So, so what, what, what made you leave? It was a part-time gig. I was just looking to try to make a little extra money as a kid. I had other jobs at that time. And somebody said, hey, do you want to come over? They need some help at the catering hall. They're short out this weekend. So I did it. I just, I wasn't, I you know, didn't particularly like it. And I had other work. As a kid, I mean, especially in the 70s, it wasn't a lot of part-time work for kids. But I always found it. Why? So I had a reputation. I was a hard worker. If you ask anybody I grew up with, I was a hard worker. They always saw me hustling around the neighborhood, figuring all kinds of schemes and scams. And that's what you want to have. That's what you want to be habitual. You don't want to be the hardest working person on the planet. You want to be the smartest working person. So it isn't just about all just working a gazillion hours and working hard. It's about smart working. I, I don't need to be in a catering hall where they're not going to give me the respect. They're not going to teach me anything just so I can make a few extra bucks. Like that's, I don't need to do that on a Saturday night, on a Sunday night. Like I, I had other stuff I could do. But at that time, I made some extra bucks that weekend. It's fine. But I think, you know, you want to be the smartest working person, which is, you know, you, you don't want to be using your head all the time, thinking about, again, pictualization, how you want things to be. And you also want to have a reputation for being a hard worker. You're not afraid to put your nose down. So would you say some of the hardest working people are also considered the smartest working? Like, are there, is there ever a time where they're almost one and the same? Like, no. I've seen a lot of people who are really relentlessly hard workers, but they're not using their head. You know, my grandmother's favorite line, if you use your head, you don't have to use your feet. I think sometimes just being ridiculously hardworking and not using your head could lead you also to, listen, you're not gonna get thrown away by the wayside, but it doesn't always lead you to where you wanna go also. You know, you gotta be as hardworking with your mindset as you are physically. And the hardest work you, you'll ever do is thinking. I mean, it's hard to stop and just think. Yeah. You've got to make sure you put that into your diet every day. And then there is working hard. I mean, I'm at probably the hardest working mode I've been in in years just because there's a lot of stuff we got to do here physically. And there's a lot of stuff we got to do here thinking-wise. I'm trying to think about what's right in front of me and making sure that we're executing because we don't have a huge staff. And I'm also trying to think about where and what this thing's supposed to look like six months and a year and two from now. Right. And it's not easy. Right. <laughs> Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, is, is there ever a time, though, where, like, the smartest workers are considered lazy? No. I mean, that's why I think smartsmanship is 
when you get into the smart leadership mode, it's, it's, you don't want to be just a somebody who's sitting back just thinking. You know, you want to be a doer. You know, you want to be an executor. So I think you have to have a really, you know, a ratio of thinking, being smart, but also working and physically getting your hands into it. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, it's just tough balance because I feel like people perceive the smartest workers sometimes as the laziest ones, right? Because they're not willing to put in those small, like, details in. And it's like, I totally agree with you, though. Like, the smartest workers are the ones that, because there's a lot of hard workers. Everyone would say, like, they're a hard hard worker right who's not going to say they're not a hard working person right but go up perspective yeah. yeah yeah but yeah no i agree um i i don't want to keep you too much longer because i know it's uh been a long conversation but um you know is there one i, I did want to ask you what is your favorite collectible do you have a favorite collectible or i mean i do I, i've got a bunch of them but probably um you know, the, the, I, I wish we were doing this in my sports room so I would show you some of my favorite things. There's ideas that I came up with that added to the industry or now people copy and everybody does it. You know, but, you know, when, when you look at a game use base, that's like a – you buy a game use base from a baseball game. Like, I put that in play. You know, when you buy uh, even game use from actual professional events, I put that in play. Right. Or um, um, when I look at some of the really creative ways to print photos or creative ways to manufacture collectibles – you know, I put a lot of that in play. Mm. So, you know, I love that stuff. I love the stuff that, you know, again, smartsmanship, you know, where I took something, I wasn't willing to settle for it. And again, high, having a high level of non-acceptance, like that's good, but it's not great. We can do better. Right? And then figuring it out. Those are the things that are my favorites. Um, yeah. And there are a lot of moments with athletes where by spending time with them and talking to them, we came up with great ideas. And those are the ideas I are my favorite collectibles. Yeah. Is there, is there one, though, that sticks to your mind? My Thurman Munson autograph that I got in 1975 when uh, I went to a Red Sox game at Fenway Park, and then I met Thurman in the hotel afterwards. And he'd come into the elevator, and he kind of gave me shit because I was heckling him during the game, and he remembered it. And he really didn't even acknowledge me during the game. Then the elevator, he looked at me, and then he signed my autograph. I was like 14 at the time. Wow. Mm -hmm. That was pretty cool. And, and the rest is history, right? That was that was the foundation. It had an impact because after that, <laughs> I went around the whole hotel looking for players and trying to get autographs. Yeah. It was, you know, it was it was a it was a monumental moment that definitely yeah. stuck on me. Yeah, yeah. I, I do the same thing, man. When when there's games, I'm running around trying to get autographs too. So it's fun. It's awesome, man. Thank you, thank you so much, Brandon, for for taking. You're welcome. Me. Have a great day. Appreciate you having me on, and uh, good luck to everyone. By the way, my book is free on Collectible Exchange. All right. So if you want to pick up any of my books, particularly the business playbook, if you're in college, uh, it's free. Just go to cxstuff.com and also follow me on LinkedIn. I'm a big LinkedIn guy. Awesome. Yeah, I already did. So if there's any way, cool. if there's any work that you need, feel free to. I'd love to. Thank you. Here. So good luck with you. your senior year, brother. Be well. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you.